Our reading this morning will be the first 19 verses. John 4, beginning in verse 1. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and this well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, and as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go and call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. And the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. This ends the reading of God's word. Please be seated. Well, good morning, everyone, and good morning to you visitors. We're glad that you're here this morning. John chapter 4 is a very known passage of scripture to all all of us. It's nothing new. Not going to try to bring out anything, any other secrets that we don't know of in this passage. Um, It's one of my favorites. Before we get to John chapter 4, I want to read to you from John chapter 7. You don't have to turn there, but let me read it to you. In John chapter 7. Jesus said, beginning in verse 37, he said this, On the last day of the feast of the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out. So they're on the last day of the feast. They've been partying for however many days. They've been having a good time, drinking and being merry. And Jesus, knowing that his time is almost there, they've already made plans to arrest him. His boldness because his confidence and trust in the Father that his time has not yet come. He stands up in the midst of all of these people and the Bible says that he cried out or he lifted up his voice loudly and said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Jesus is able to see these people. He's able to see their condition, but they're not able to see it. So he stands up and he says, is there anyone here that's thirsty Does anybody recognize their spiritual condition? Does anybody understand their parched soul? Do you want water? If you do, then come to me and drink. He is the fountain of living water that we're about to see in John chapter 4. So over in John chapter 4, and you know, th- th- throughout the whole gospel of John, this is, this is John's intention through the Holy Spirit, through the apostle John, of writing this gospel, is that Jesus is the Christ. He's the Messiah. 
He's the one sent by God. That's his whole purpose. You can read this throughout all these chapters. Matter of fact, John chapter 20, verse 31, John wrote that these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's the whole purpose of John, and especially in John chapter 4. This is not just about the Samaritan woman, although she does play a part. She plays a secondary part. The main role is Jesus, that he's the Messiah, that he's the son of the living God, and in him there's life, and apart from him there is no life at all. That's why in chapter 4, verse, beginning in verse 25, the woman said to him, I know that a Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am. There's no he in the original. I am. That's the whole purpose of this story. I am. A lot of times people will teach this um, chapter on how to evangelize the lost, which you could use that because it shows Jesus evangelizing a Samaritan woman. Uh, Some people teach this passage uh, how to worship God and how to be a worshiper. You could do that. But that's not my goal this morning. My goal is to bring out this Jesus and his grace and his mercy, and his free gift, his free gift of eternal life. This is an amazing story, as we're going to see. But just his love for the outcasts, his love for the people that you wouldn't think is all that important, she is to him, and we're going to see that. The reason I don't want to teach this as an evangelism tool is because we're not Jesus here. We're the woman. We're we're the woman. We're the outcast. We're the adulteress. We're the one who's in need of a savior. And if he doesn't stop by our well and do what he does, We're dead. That's what I want to bring out. We're we're the woman. We're the leper. We're the woman caught in the act of adultery. We're the sick that need a physician. We're the lost that needs a savior. That's how I want us to look at this passage. So in your outline, I, I, I wrote down four things here. His purpose, his pursuit, his promise, and his persistence. Before we look into this, I want you to understand three things and actually three strikes against this woman. Number one, she's a Samaritan. We'll learn about that. Number two, she's a woman. And number three, she's an adulteress. She's a sinner. And she's living in adultery now. Three strikes against her. But that's nothing new for Jesus, right? Let me remind you of Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 36. I think it's up there. It says, One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner... When she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. If he he was a prophet, which he's claiming to be, he would know the type of woman who's touching him 
and is in his presence. And we all know, Jesus knows exactly who this woman is. He knows exactly what type of woman she is and still is in her presence. In John chapter 4, we're going to see Jesus unveils her whole life. He reads her like a book and knows everything about her. Matter of fact, this morning, he knows everything about you. He knows all of your sin. He knows your shame. He knows your guilt. He knows your past. He knows your present. He knows your future. And yet he still pursues. That's what I want to bring out. The the amazing love of this God that pursues sinners. How many of us or how many would, would have turned away her as hopeless, which many people do, just, just leave them. They're, they're hopeless. Forget about them. But Christ turns to her because she's a soul whom the Father has given him to save. She's important. The Pharisee in Luke chapter 7 would have just kicked this woman out of the house. Get out of here. You're born in sin. You can't be around us. You remember the woman caught in the act of adultery in John chapter 8? Beginning in verse 5. Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now the law of Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. That's what a Pharisee does. They love to stone When someone sins and doesn't obey, they love to pick up the rocks and chuck at them and hurt them because they've got it all figured out. So the law of Moses says, let's stone her. And, of course, Jesus responded by saying, okay, well, whoever's without sin, then go ahead and just cast that stone at her. And one by one, they dropped their stones because they all had sin, which was what Jesus' point was in saying that. So he looks at the woman. He stood up and he said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Would you you hear that this morning? Would, would Would you please hear that? Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. That's this Jesus. And according to John chapter 3, verse 17, God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So let's read our text and let's get into the story. Before we read uh, chapter 4, let's go back a few verses in chapter 3 and see how chapter 3 ends so we can blend it in with chapter 4. So let's look at his purpose. We're going to begin in John chapter 3, verse 34. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. This is how chapter 3 ends, going into chapter 4. And I love that because those those are powerful words right there. He's God sent. He utters the words of God, and he has the Spirit unmeasurably, and he always has. The Father loves him. He's given all things into his hands. This means that Jesus has total control of everything. He's in charge of everything. Now, in chapter 4, we read in verse 1, Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. He had to pass through Samaria. So Jesus is in Judea, the south, and he has to go to Galilee. Why does he have to leave? Well, the Bible says here that 
when Jesus had learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was making more disciples than John, he departed again for Galilee. So, so what, what does that mean? Well, there's many reasons you could say, and they could all be somewhat true. I don't know exactly what the purpose was that he left, but I can guess on some of them. Um, his time wasn't up yet. We, he knew that the Pharisees, that, that Jesus was, was making more disciples than John, and they already hated and despised John, right? Because John, you know, basically called them a brood, a brood of vipers. And they see this Jesus who they, whom they hate also, and he's making more disciples, and they're getting jealous. And maybe they might have, um, you know, got upset and decided to plan something against him, and he just departed. His time was not up yet. Um, could be that maybe he was just trying to get John's disciples and Jesus' disciples, you know, in a little fight here and there. Well, look at, you know, Jesus is making more disciples than your master, so he must be better, whatever. I, I don't know the exact reason. But I do know that Jesus did not leave Judea because of fear. He wasn't afraid that the Pharisees were going to gang up on him and jump him or, or, or try to kill him. Remember, as we read in John chapter 3, the, the last passage is there, that he's given all things into his hands. He's in total control of this situation. He's not leaving because he's afraid of them. He's the one that said, I lay my life down on my own accord, and no one takes my life. I determine when and what shall happen to me, not you. Matter of fact, in John chapter 7 and verse 30, so they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Remember when they tried to throw him off a cliff and he, he, just, he just got in the midst of people and just disappeared? I mean, they couldn't find him. I don't know how he did that, but his, his hour wasn't up yet. And until his hour was up, nobody was going to do anything or change his plans because he's sovereign. And he's in total authority and control of this situation. Verse 4, he had to pass through Samaria. Now, the walk from Judea to Galilee was about a three-day journey if you pass through Samaria, okay? Most of the Jews, because of their hatred for the Samaritans, would take the long way around. They would go east across the Jordan River, up the Transjordan, up across the Jordan River, and back up because they didn't want to step foot in place in any area that the Samaritans dwelled in. And we'll learn a little bit about the Samaritans a little bit later. Or they could have just taken the, the coast right up. But Jesus departed Judea and went to Galilee, and he had to go through Samaria. It wasn't because it was shorter this word had to has to do with a divine appointment. He's keeping a divine schedule from before the foundation of the world. He has an appointment with this lady at the well, and he has to go through Samaria. This woman before the foundation of the world has been chosen by God. His, his will is that she would be in heaven with him. And Jesus is going to go and make that a reality to her. Matter of fact, look at verse 23 of chapter 4. But the hour is coming and now is here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. The Father is seeking such people to worship him. Such people as you, ma'am adulterous five times over, living in adultery right now, sinner, outcast. The Father is seeking such people as you. You're, you're to be in heaven with me. It's already been settled, and I'm here to make that a reality. Don't you love that? Such people as you. That's his purpose. That's his purpose of why he has to go through Samaria is because he's got a divine appointment and he's seeking worshipers and such people as this Samaritan woman. He's seeking her worship. That's his purpose. Number two is pursuit. Beginning in verse five. 
So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, asked for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? City of Sychar. It's probably they, they, most commentators believe that it's the modern village Ascar right now. So let me give you a little brief background of, uh, of this city. Sychar is uh, a town in the district of Samaria. Samaria was the capital city of the northern kingdom called Israel. Jacob had given this property to his son Joseph. You can read about that in Genesis chapter 48 in verse 22. Jacob's well was about a half a mile south of Sychar, and it's there today. They believe in an unfurnished, unorthodox church, still there today. This well was approximately about 100 feet deep, so it was a deep well, um, and it was fed by a running spring, a well, a running spring. And most commentators believe that this well is actually producing to this day. The word well is meaning a cistern or, or, or a, dug a, a dug out well. So it says here in verse 6 that Jacob's well was there and Jesus was wearied from his journey and he was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A sixth hour means noon. It was in the heat of the day. It was in the most hottest time of the day. And Jesus is wearied. And of course, this shows his humanity. You ever hear people ask you questions, was Jesus tired or did Jesus, you know, whatever humans do. Jesus was wearied. He was tired. It wasn't just some easy walk on a, on a nice road. There was much terrain. It was hills. It, it, it was dirt. It, it was a, a, a hard walk. And he's wearied. He's tired. John chapter 1 verse 14 says that the word became flesh. It became human. That's why in Hebrews 4.15 says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. He was identical to us in our humanity and in his humanity, except he was without sin. So he experienced tiredness. He experienced hunger and thirst and sleepless nights. He experienced that all in his humanity. So in verse 7, a woman from Samaria came to draw water. She came in the the heat of the day. Now, according to Genesis chapter 24, verse 11, women would actually go in groups, and they would go when the sun went down because it was a lot cooler. But this woman comes to this well, apparently by herself, in the hottest time of the day, carrying a large water bucket by herself. Most people believe because of her shame, because of the type of person that she is, and to avoid the ridicule of other women in the town and their gossip, and they're sticking their nose up at her, She would just avoid them and walk further, even in the heat of the day, just to get her water. And I probably would too, because that's a shame, isn't it? People that think they're better than other people, all because they haven't committed adultery or whatever. We're all the same. We all have our shame. We all have our guilt. We all have our past. We all have our sin. We're not to look down on anyone and despise them 
and make them feel like outcasts. You know, a lot of times churches do that. People come in for the first time and they see people staring at them. And their stare tells them, you, don't, you shouldn't be here. We don't want you here. That happens in churches today. God forbid it. Back in the day, it was the women's responsibility to draw the water. The men went out and worked in the field. The more hard labor work the men did, but the women were to gather, go to the well and get their water for sanitization or for, for the water, or for washing the clothes, whatever. That, that, that was their job. And they did it in groups. This woman does it alone because she's an outcast and she doesn't have really any friends there. Everybody looks down upon her. So she's in this alone. And by the way, there are many wells that were closer to her house. But because of the ridicule of the other women, she would much rather go further away so she wouldn't be seen. She could just go get her water and just come back like she does every day. Just kind of slip out and slip back in without being harassed or looked upon badly. So as she's drawing water, Jesus is sitting beside the well. The time had come. It's going to happen. He's there. The disciples went into the town to buy food. Now, I don't know if this well was just, you know, out in the, the wilderness by itself. I don't think so. I think it was close to the city. Um, I don't know if other people were walking by the well as they were having this conversation. It doesn't say. Um, but Jesus is there, and he's in Samaria, and he's about to engage this woman. Give me a drink. Now, if you don't know about the Jews and Samaritans, what he just said right there was unbelievable. That was outrageous. Give me a drink. In the culture, the rabbis never spoke to a woman in public. Matter of fact, some commentators believe that they never spoke to their wives or their daughters in public. And here is the Son of God, Jesus, speaking to a Samaritan, a woman, and an adulteress out in view of everyone to see. He's breaking all the barriers that have happened for centuries. He's just breaking them. He doesn't care who sees. Our Lord set social customs aside because a soul's eternal salvation was at stake. You see, church, these types of people, the adulteress, the drug addicts, the homosexuals, the homosexual activists, the, the, the terrorists, they're not our enemies. They're the harvest. They're the field. We're not to ignore them. We're not to just act like we don't see them and, and be separate from them. They're, they're the harvest. We need to engage these people and break the barriers like Jesus is doing here. Listen to her response. This, verse 9, the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaria. Now, the word here, no dealings, is, is kind of a loose translation. It's not a very good one. What it actually, because they actually did have... Um, dealings with Jews. If you look in verse 8, um, his disciples had gone away in the city to buy food. So here they are in the, in the marketplace buying food, Samaritan foods that were made with unclean hands. So they had dealings with them. What they mean by this is that Jews were not allowed to do, what they were not allowed to do was to share utensils, particularly the glasses or cups. They weren't allowed to drink from the same glass as a Samaritan. That was unheard of. I think back when I was a, a young kid, I see my sister here this morning with us. I remember uh, a time when my mom would make me a sandwich and my sister would sneak in and take a bite of it. And right then and there, I would say, it's your sandwich. I'm not touching it. I don't want your germs. Yeah. Or she'd take a drink of my drink and I would say, that's it. it I'm not going to drink. That's your drink now. And I would get mad. I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't want her to do that, but she did. 
Jesus is asking a Samaritan woman, give me a drink from your water bottle. You talk about breaking down the boundaries. This, this, this shocked this woman. This was unheard of. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? You're not supposed to have any dealings with Samaria. Now, where did Samaria come from? How, how did all this bitterness and, and resentment happen between the Jews and the Samaritans? Let me just read you real quick from Don Carson, and he's going to explain this to you. Don Carson said, After the Assyrians captured Samaria in 722 B.C., they deported all Israelites of substance and settled the land with foreigners who intermarried with the surviving Israelites and adhered to some form of their ancient religion, according to 2 Kings 17 and 18. After the exile, Jews returning to their homeland, the remains of the southern kingdom viewed the Samaritans not only as the children of political rebels, but as a racial half-breeds whose religion was tainted by various and unacceptable elements. And the Samaritans only believed in the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. They didn't believe or adhere to the, the, the prophets or the Psalms. So they were half-breeds. And they brought their, their other gods into play. And they worshipped on Mount Gerizim. And the Jews hated them and despised them for that. That's why they would have no dealings with them. Verse 10. Jesus answered her, now get this now, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. You see right now, all she sees is a weary Jewish traveler. She doesn't perceive who she's talking to. Ma'am, if you knew who it is who's talking to you, who's in your midst right now. I started this conversation off because I'm weary and I was tired and I was thirsty and I'm asking you for a drink. But if you knew who this was who was standing right before your eyes, if you just knew, you would have asked him for water. And he would have freely given you this living water. If you just knew how parched your soul was, if you just knew your condition and you knew who I was and I can help you, you would have begged me for water and I would have given it to you, which is eternal life. Listen to John Calvin. This is certainly an astonishing instance of his goodness. For what was there in this wretched woman that from being a prostitute, she suddenly became a disciple of the Son of God? Though in all of us, he has displayed a similar instance of his compassion. All the women indeed, all the women indeed are not prostitutes, nor are all the men stained by some heinous crime. But what excellence can any of us plead as a reason why he designed to bestow on us the heavenly doctrine and the honor of admitting us into his family? Who can boast? Why, why would God choose to engage this woman? Or why would he choose to engage any of us? is beyond our understanding. But yet he has engaged us. And he's allowed us to see who it is who stands before us today. And his desire is to reveal himself to this woman. He loves her. He desires to have her. And if you just knew who it was who you were talking to, you would see that I am the giver of life and I will freely give you this living water which your soul desperately needs. 
And we aren't told if Jesus ever got his drink. I, I don't know if, you know, we, we don't know that. But it's, it's amazing that when, when, when you do the work of the Lord, you just kind of forget about your necessities, right? You just, you know, I was hungry and all of a sudden you're encountered with this person. And you're, you're ministering to them and you're, you're, you're teaching them the gospel or whatever. And you just forget about your hunger or your thirst or stuff like that. I believe this is what's happened to Christ here. He, he, he's engaging this woman in spiritual things, and he's just forgotten all about, I'm thirsty. Living water is a metaphor for God. It's, it's everlasting life. Matter of fact, in the Old Testament, you read a lot about this living water. In Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, For my people, listen to this, boy, this is tragic, My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. What a tragedy. They forsook eternal life and the water that will truly satisfy them, and they tried to find it Elsewhere, in another well. We do that. We try to drink from wells today that will satisfy us, our cravings, our desires, and it still leaves us thirsty, doesn't it? Sure does. If she would just know who was talking to her, She would have begged him for this living water, but she can't see. She's blind to who this man is. Look at her response, verse 11. The woman said to him, sir, you don't have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock? Do you remember over in John chapter 3, one chapter back in verse 1, Jesus has this encounter with Nicodemus? And Nicodemus comes to him by night and says, Master, we know that you're a teacher sent from God and nobody can do the things that you do. And Jesus reads him just like he reads this woman. He says, Nicodemus, unless one is born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And what's his response? Where is there a womb big enough for me to get back into? He's blind. He's totally blind to his spiritual need. Woman, if you knew who it was who was talking to you, you would have asked him, he would have given you living water. I would have given you life. Sir, you don't have a bucket. The well's deep. You have nothing to draw with. They can't see their spiritual condition. She misunderstood that the living water and thought of only water from the well. And since Jacob's well is so deep, she's asking Jesus, how how are you going to get this water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? Now here most commentators believe that she's charging Jesus here with arrogance. Claiming, remember all she sees is a weary Jewish traveler. And she's now thinking that he's claiming to be greater than Jacob their father. She's mocking him. This is mockery. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? That word you is in the emphatic, which is expecting a no answer. You're not greater than Jacob. This well is almost 100 feet deep. You don't even have a bucket. Who do you think you are? You claiming to be greater than Jacob, who built this well? But Jesus is going to show her very soon, yes, I am greater than Jacob. And my water that I have to offer is greater than Jacob's water. Because you drink of this water, and you're going to thirst again. But if you drink of the water that I give you, you'll never die. You'll never die. It's everlasting. You'll never be thirsty again. This is what he's going to show her. 
Look at his number three here, his promise. Verse 13. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up into eternal life. In the midst of all this, in the midst of her mocking him and trying to change the subject like she's going to do here real soon, Jesus is very patient with her. He's very patient with her. He speaks very kindly to her. He's going on to explain that one water only serves as a temporary quench of your thirst, while the other water quenches your thirst altogether. Do you see yourself in this woman? One of the evidences that we have not drunk from the water of life or that we are quenching its spring is that we are unstable like this woman and always are moving from one thing to the next, seeking to fill the void that only Jesus can promise to fill. Do you see yourself like her? See, Jesus says, if you, if you knew me and you asked me, I'd give you living water and you'll never thirst again. You take one drink of this water I give you, and not only will it quench your thirst, but it will actually become a spring. When you drink of this well, you will never have to drink from husbands again. You will never have to drink from wives again. You'll never have to drink from sex again. You'll never have to drink from drugs again or whatever well you're drinking. You take one drink of the water that I give you, and it's going to quench all of that, which means you won't have to go to other wells Can't you see? We get so tricked by the, 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 the wells of this world. Oh, if I could just make more money, or if I could just get a different husband, all of my problems would go away. We're going to see here that a husband's not going to make your troubles go away, including five husbands. They're not meant to satisfy you. They can't. Only this living water can truly satisfy your thirst if you're thirsty. Look at the promise. Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. Why won't we be thirsty again? Because the water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up. Literally, the word is leaping up. It's leaping up out of you. It's leaping up into eternal life. This well is not temporary. It just doesn't quench your thirst for a short time. It's going to satisfy. It's going to be a spring. It's never going to run empty. It's never going to run dry. It's always going to be there. And you can draw from that well and be satisfied. It never stops. It never stops running. This is what he's trying to get her to see. Isaiah chapter 12, verse 3 and 4. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation, and you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, and proclaim that his name is exalted. With joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. The living water. So look at verse 15. Sir, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water. And then she blows it. Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water ever again. She doesn't get it. She still does not get it. Give me this water because these buckets are heavy. Or I don't want to get out of my house and come walk all this way to get this. Just just give me this water. Sounds like John chapter 6 and verse 26. 
Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your, your fill of the loaves. I'll follow you as long as you feed my stomach. Absolutely. I'll follow, give me this water because these buckets are heavy and I don't like carrying them. Give me your health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. I'll go to church. If God's going to meet my needs, absolutely. Where do I sign? I'll show up every Sunday. What can he do for me? If he can give me this, absolutely. It's all about me. And she misses it. So I don't have to come here and keep drawing water every day. She's dead. She's still spiritually dead and has no life in her. The seed of the word fell on shallow soil. She received it with gladness for a moment, but it didn't have any root. The soil wasn't deep. It didn't go down. It didn't go down to where it needs to go, which is the person's heart. And she's still dead. Have you ever spoken to somebody about Christ? Have you ever, you ever talked to them about the gospel and you look in their face and you, and you tell them of all that Christ has done and they look at you with just the blankest stare? What time's the game start? And, 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 and you're trying to get across to them? Look at your life. You've been married five times. You're living in adultery now. You're a mess. You're destroying yourself. And you can't see it. You just can't see. They're more concerned about the game today or whatever. And you're trying to tell them that here's a, here's a man that offers living water. And if you drink of it, you'll never thirst again. And they can't see it. However, Jesus continually and continues to be patient with her. And I call this, number four, his persistence. I don't know about you, but most people right then and there would have said, I'm I'm, I'm done. (laughs) I'm not going to waste my time any longer. You're not getting this. What do you mean? Give me this water so I have to come and, and draw from it again. These buckets are heavy. I'm, I'm done with you. Just, you're on your own. Not him. He continues to pursue her. He means to have her. Look at verse 31. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. I'm not through. I don't care if she hasn't gotten it yet. I'm not done. I'm going to continue to persist and pursue her until she gets it. My, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. And he sent me to this woman And I'm going to accomplish what he has sent me for, which is he wants her. So he says in verse 16, go call your husband and come here. It's kind of weird, huh? Go call your husband and come here. She's failed to grasp who Jesus is. She has failed to understand this living water and what it is. And now she has failed up to this point to recognize her own spiritual need. She doesn't see that yet. And her need is forgiveness. She needs to be forgiven because she's shameful and she's guilty. And she has to sneak around the town so that nobody will see her. Because she knows that when they look at her, oh, there goes the the adulteress. There goes the woman that's living with the guy right now. Isn't she something? She needs forgiveness. 
She needs her, her, her shame to be taken away. The only way to prepare the soil of the heart for the seed is to plow it up with conviction. When the Holy Spirit begins to convict you in your heart, don't push that away. Don't guard it. Don't say, no, you're not going to have that. That's too hurtful. That's too painful. That's a gift from God. This is why Jesus told her to go get her husband. He's forcing her now to come to terms and admit her sin. There can be no conversion without conviction. There must first be conviction and repentance, and and then there can be saving faith. But without conviction and without repentance, there's not going to be any living water. But yet many times people come and they sit under the word and the Holy Spirit begins to deal with them. Not harshly, not condemning, but he convicts you in love. And he says, let's deal with this. Come to terms with this. You, you, you know it. You know what's in you. But yet, so many times we just push them away and we leave. And then we come back and then we leave. And we come back dry and thirsty as we did last week. And we keep coming back dry and thirsty because we're not allowing the Holy Spirit to convict us of our sin and open up to us. This is his desire. This is, this is where we're going to see Jesus' omniscience now. And she's about to see it too. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet You see, ma'am, I am greater than Jacob. I'm not no ordinary man. Who you're talking to is the son of God. And I know everything about you. I know everything about you. And I still love you. And I still pursue you but you've got to see your need. When she said, I had no husband, which was true in a sense, what she was doing was she was trying to stop any further probing of this sensitive issue and area of her life. Ow. That's right, you're not married. You've had five husbands, and the guy you're living with right now is not even your husband You're you're committing adultery again. It's just a cycle. Your soul's parched. You're trying to find rest and whatever you're trying to find. You're trying to find it in husbands. And it's not going to be found there. It's going to be found in me forgiving you and offering you eternal life. You see, what she's doing by avoiding that is, is she's protecting the, 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 the sensitive issue and the living water's trying to get there. It's trying to go in there, but she's like building up a dam that's preventing that living water to go there. It's just too hard. It's just too difficult. But once she sees her need for forgiveness and the mercy of God and receive it, those walls go boom. And that living water flows right in and heals. And the chains break off. She knows she's under conviction right now. She knows right now that she is under conviction. And this is the best thing that could ever have happened to her. She's trying to mask her guilt and her hurt and her shame, and Jesus sees right through it. You might be here this morning, masking your guilt, 
your shame and your hurt. May I say to you this morning, ma'am, sir, teenager, child, he sees right through it. And he knows all about you. Everything. But you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to protect it anymore. He stands before you and offers living water. Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. By calling him a prophet, I believe she was saying, you're right. I've been married five times and I'm committing adultery right now. You're correct. I can't hide this sin anymore. I'm done. Give me now this living water. Give it to me. Look at verses 29. Come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Look at verse 39. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. You know what she has now? She has a clear conscience. No more shame. No more guilt. No more condemnation. No more having to worry about the other women talking about her. Jesus said in John 8, 36, so if the Son sets you free, you'll be freed indeed. I don't care what you think about me. Come in here and come and listen to what this man told me. He told me everything about me, and I'll tell you everything about me too. Just come and see this man. I'm no longer shameful. I'm no longer hiding it. I don't have to hide it anymore. Because I have living water. I have forgiveness. I have eternal life. Don't be afraid. Don't be ashamed to talk about your past and what God's healed you from or delivered you from. Let it be your testimony. Shout it out how good your God is and how much of a wreck you were. And you would still be that wreck if he hadn't visited you at your well. Listen to Calvin one more time. The woman teaches us by her example that when we meet with any teacher, we ought to avail ourselves of this opportunity that we may not be ungrateful to God who never sends prophets to us without, as it were, stretching out the hand to invite us to himself. So this morning, as I close, do you know the gift of God and who it is that's speaking to you? Or is all you see is a man up here talking? Do you see who's talking to you? Do you want living water? Freely come and drink? I pray you don't see me. I pray you don't hear me. I pray that you would hear the words and the voice of our loving Father that says, I know you, and I know your condition and your situation, and I love you, and I'm pursuing you. Come to me. Come. Quit, quit guarding it. Quit masking it. You're hurting. You're in pain. You're shameful. My living water will take care of all that. So here's the invitation, Isaiah 55, 1 through 3. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come and buy and eat. Buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and you labor for food which does not satisfy Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear to come to me and hear that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant. My prayer this morning is that if you are thirsty, you would come 
to the fountain of living water and drink. And I promise you, one drink will quench your thirst forever.